two amazingly simple words. Follow me. When you think about the statement Jesus made, and you know, we're, we're the kind of people where when we hear statements like this, we break it down grammatically speaking if we are the type that wants to follow authority. We're saying, all right, this is an imperative statement by Jesus, Jesus himself. What else do we need to know? Just simply follow him, right? And so simple enough, that's what we're supposed to do. And in fact, when we, when we hear these words, follow me, and we read of passages like we're going to look up in the next slide, whether it was Philip or Matthew, when Jesus says to them, follow me, what do we see? They literally just got up and follow him. Now, mind you, if we actually go to these texts and read them, there's a lot that's not in here, all right? Look at John chapter 1, verses 43 through 45. I want you to look at what's being said when Jesus simply says, you know, follow me. John chapter 1, verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said, follow me. That's it. There's no background other than the fact that he just, they just met the day before. There's not a discourse of theology that we see revealed for us between Nathaniel or Philip and Jesus. All we get earlier in the chapter was, hey, I think we found the Messiah. Come, let's go find out. That's it. Or go on to the passage here when Jesus meets Levi. He's known as Matthew in Matthew chapter 9. Go to that text. This is just mind-boggling to me because sometimes this helps us then to, to realize there's a lot more going on behind the scenes as to what God did not reveal that leads up to what is in fact revealed. So Jesus has just healed someone who had been paralyzed, right? It says in verse 8, when the multitude saw it, they marveled, glorified God who had given such power to men. And then in verse 9, then as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. Here's Matthew, or Levi, at the tax office, and Jesus says to him, he's at work. He's at, at the tax office. I don't know, county commission, wherever you collect money. And, all right, Matthew, come follow me. That's it. Now, let's fast forward 2,000 years later. Phil Barnes is at work, and Jesus meets Phil, who's running his business in insurance, and Jesus says, Phil, come follow me. Imagine Phil just leaves the golf course. I mean, leaves the workplace. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Phil just ups and leaves his work. That's absolutely astounding to me that you can have someone that does that. Will we not even question like, wait a second. I mean, this is my job. I've got work to do. I've got responsibilities. I have clients depending upon me. My boss depending on, I'm depending on me. Whatever the situation is or scenario is, I mean, it just seems like as you're reading the scriptures, poof, they follow him. 
There's a whole lot more to what's going on than what we simply read, however. To hear these words, follow me, and then for us to simply go, okay, well, that's what they did in Scripture. It seems very easy. That's what we need to do. Just simply follow Jesus. There's a lot more at stake. And in fact, the scriptures, as we read through various scriptures in in the gospel of Matthew, in fact, all the gospel accounts that deal with this phrase, follow me, oftentimes Jesus deals with discipleship issues. And the main takeaway of all these dialogues, if you will, and you can remember when Jesus was talking about counting the cost of discipleship, take up your cross daily and follow me. The cost is great. And it's nowhere near as easy as simply reading a couple of passages like we just read in, in John chapter 1 or in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus is following me and boom, you see people just following Jesus. There's a lot at stake here. And I believe as for all of us who are here this morning, most of us that have hear, heard sermons for years, we know that there's a cost. We know that there's difficulty. We know that there's trials and struggles. And yet, for whatever the reasons may be, what is in the forefront of many Christians' minds when they hear, well, what is the cost of following Jesus? And here's what I've heard over the years. And this is what I'm going to share with you on the following slide is what I've heard from many, many Christians. Three major statements. When it comes to following Jesus, what I hear many Christians who say, I'm following Jesus, saying, well, I don't do this and I don't do that. I don't murder. I don't commit adultery. I don't steal. I don't bear false witness. I follow Jesus. Interestingly enough, that's exactly what was said by the rich young ruler to Jesus when Jesus had then said, okay, you want to know more about what you need to do? Go and sell everything that you have. Come follow me. But some people limit their idea of Christianity to these types of statements. I don't do this. I don't go partying. I don't do drugs. I don't sleep around. And their life is based upon I don'ts. Unfortunately, that's what Christianity is not all about. It's not limited to these things. Secondly, how about keeping commandments? You know, not only do I not do these things, which were the commandments of God, taken from those Ten Commandments, but I also do these things. I follow the commandments of God. In fact, I honor my father and my mother. I love my neighbor as myself. I I do these commandments. And sometimes in modern-day Christianity, we do the same thing. We're saying, well, I, I don't do these things, and I practice these commandments. I'm a follower of Jesus. And we limit following Jesus to such commandments. Think about that. In the name of Bible authority, we're like, okay, we're finding everything we're supposed to do, and here's what we're not doing. And then somehow we've got our hole punched and our ticket to pass through the, the heavenly gates. It is an absolute shallow way of looking at Christianity, but honestly, I've heard it from many Christians saying, that's what you're supposed to do if you're going to follow Jesus. And if that's not enough, some will even go so far as to have this mindset of 
Christianity where we're talking about ascetics, right? Do not, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Colossians chapter 2 verse 21 says, that's like this human religion where you keep from doing certain things so it promotes some sort of piety in you. He says, that's, that's false humility. You see, if we look at all these things here, many would view that as following Jesus. I would argue that following Jesus looks a lot like that and a whole lot more than that. For some people, they're not going to follow the ascetics because, because they studied the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. <laughs> and, and we know we can enjoy life. You don't have to live like a hermit in a cave to be a faithful child of God. In fact, when we look like Jesus and follow after Jesus, it is far from that. And some would so much as, and we've even discussed this in our Bible class last week, seem to forsake a commandment in following Jesus. For those that weren't in our Bible study last week, one of the questions I asked was, and if it wasn't in the study, it was in the sermon. I think it was in the sermon, the hospitality, that's right. I remember asking, you know, how many of you had, had ever passed someone along the way that was in need because you're not supposed to forsake the assembling of the saints? And so I can't forsake the... Some people have that view of, of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 as a commandment in that regard, and I, maybe that's another sermon, but, but in, in not wanting to, to forsake that commandment, we fail to help someone who is actually in need. And then others would, would say, well, you went and you forsook the assembly because of that? That's not... A, of course, we know better. We can read of passages where Jesus was mentioning how, you know, when, when your neighbor is in need or his oxen is in the ditch, you go and you help them. You know, Pharisees yourselves, as law keepers, you are willing to do that. And so we have this mindset, very similar to others, about these kinds of things as to what Christianity would look like or following after Jesus would look like. Here's what Christianity is supposed to look like. This is what, a, what following Jesus actually looks like. Dying to ourselves. And this is the most difficult concept for us to get. Biblically, academically, we understand what dying to self means. Right? When Jesus was, was in the garden and he is just so concerned about what's going on, he says, I wish this cup could be passed from me. This trial is, is great. Nevertheless, not my will be done. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus when we can do that. When we can realize when the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi and he talks to them about how they should be walking Christ and then he stops for a little while and then in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he talks about how we ought to truly live. A passage that we've read many times, read it once more and this is what, it's, what it looks like to follow after Jesus. And so read that text with me in Philippians 2. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, 
being of one accord, in other words, being of one mind. And he says, here's what that looks like. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. In fact, on the contrary, he says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so as to nail, make the main point, if you will, he says in verse 5, following up with that, I want you to have this mind. Because this was the mind of Jesus. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But instead he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And he became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. That's what it's like to follow Jesus. Have the same mind that he not only put others first, he humbled himself in doing so. What it's like to follow Jesus is to love people that people don't, aren't loved. Love the very ones that society rejects. I'll go one step further. It's to share the kind of love that even exists within a congregation. But for some reason, you know that people, um, we're told by our brother, you have people who are lonely. That even exists in congregations. You see, it's easy to love people that have maybe uh, nice characteristic traits. They get along with people. They, um, maybe they might be well-dressed, charismatic character. For all the reasons why these are very much easy to love, you've got those over here who struggle. They struggle with all kinds of reasons. They might not be the most well-dressed. Their hygiene may not be the best. And so, I mean, why would you want to go next to them and spend time with them, Right? They're like people with leprosy, people who are blind or mute or lame. And yet those are the very kinds of people that we see Jesus going to, like the tax collector. The very one who was equated as being a sinner, right? When Matthew had received the calling, I cannot imagine how ecstatic he had to have been. He's so rejected by his own brethren as a tax collector. That's the stereotypical relationship that he would have with fellow Jews because of his vocation. That when Jesus has followed me, it must have been a, like, the, like an invitation. And he turns the tables on Jesus and says, all right, I'm going to follow you, but you come to my house. We're going to throw a party. And all the people that were at the party... We're sinners and tax collectors. All those who fellow Jews would reject. And that's who Jesus was with. He was with women. He was with children. People who just aren't looked highly upon. 
That's who he spent time with in society. And that's what you read in Matthew chapter 11. He loved those who was rejected by society. What it looks like to follow Jesus is caring for those that have absolutely heavy or messy burdens. Let that sink in for a while. There are people in life that have such difficult troubles that when we are confronted with their burdens, we don't want any part of it. Think about that. How easy is it to love someone at an arm's distance? Right? Now, take all the, the qualities that we don't like about an individual and love them up close. Tell me how difficult that is. Michael is mentioning family going through divorce. That can get ugly, especially when there's two sides to every story we're told. And now, here you are, you're friends to both. You're stuck in the middle. How do you handle that messy situation? Or because there is sin involved, I don't want any part of that situation. And now we've lost possibly one or two children of God because we don't want to deal with their, their messy situation. We don't want to share that burden. And yet we're told in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, to share one another's burdens. That is how we fulfill the law of Christ. That's how we follow Jesus. We have some whose personalities are so awkward to us that we don't know what to say or how to say it. And so rather than have those awkward moments, we stay away. So for all these things, these are things that, that are very typical of the flesh. And as surely as I'm preaching these things, I know I'm guilty of them. And as surely as I'm preaching it, I will continue to be guilty of the very things I condemn. I'll give you an illustration. Because of our selfishness, there are times in which we don't want to follow Jesus. We don't want to serve. We don't want to get our towels, right? We don't want to take from our loins and gird ourselves with service. We'd rather be served or we'd rather be comfortable and we'd rather be lazy. So here's a little shallowness of Mitch Davis. Friday night, being the servant that I am, I go and get milk for my family. Good dad. But these kids have to drink all an entire gallon in one day. Julie says, Mitch, we don't have milk. That's code. Mitch, we don't have milk is code for Mitch. You need to go to the store and get some milk. Now, unless Julie says, Mitch, please go get some milk, I may still not want to do so. But when it's in cold, I really, when I'm selfish, I don't want to get milk. I just got milk. Children should budget milk intake. That's my mind. That's how I think. It's selfish. I mean, I can make the excuse, well, we only have a budget for so much groceries per month. And children, you've met the quota in week one. I mean, that's the way my mind thinks. It is selfish that way. It gets that way. I didn't want to get into the car and go drive in the rain, go get milk. See, I'm sharing with you just a shallow example, and that's when it's not, that's easy stuff. That's not difficult. Let me give you a more difficult situation. Again, shallow Mitch. Um, I got a call from a sister in Christ. Some of you know her. 
Her name is Bonnie Rodriguez. She's one of the women that we have shared the gospel with. Four years ago this week, she's released from, from jail. So this is her fourth anniversary from jail. And she's not been back in at least other than one little stint of an overnight thing, if I understand correctly. And that was misunderstanding. But Bonnie has issues. We have, a number of us that know Bonnie, we've tried helping her. Place to live on more than one occasion. We have provided, we have a benevolence box downstairs. If you look, her name is on there often. We've tried helping her in a variety of ways. And about a month or maybe two months ago, I finally had this conversation with Bonnie. I'm just sharing it with you. I've shared it with her. I said, Bonnie, I just have an uneasy feeling about what's going on in your walk with Christ. You help a lot of other homeless people. I get that, and I appreciate that about you. I love you so much about that. I said, I'm questioning you and your walk from the standpoint of what I know and the things that I don't know that are question marks. And I said, it's not like you're being honest with me. I could be wrong in judging her right now. I could be completely off about her. Bonnie calls up last week saying, Mitch, I paid for rent on, she's living with her cousin now. Paid for electricity. My entire check is gone. We're having a hard time having food. Well, I'm going to tell you, part of me was like, we're going to help you, Bonnie. That's, without me saying a word in my heart, I'm thinking, we're going to help you. We'll have, make sure I have food. I'm not going to give you money right now because I'm, I'm having difficulty on trust issues right now. But we'll get you some food. But the other side of the selfish side of me is, you know, that takes away from all my work. I'm, daring, I'm keeping it real. You know what my work is, brethren? To follow Jesus. And that's your work too. And sometimes we get so caught up in what we think is our work that we forget what our real labor in Christ is. Dying to self looks like these things. And sometimes we get it all mixed up. Sometimes it's so shallow, it's only about these commandments, or it's only about what I don't do. It's only about what I keep from and fail to see what it really looks like. I'm telling you right now, if we take this to an unselfish level on every, every part of us, you'd be surprised how much we grow as children of God. What that means, though, is we follow the teaching of what Jesus said. Remember, this struggle is real. Here's what happened when Jesus spoke to that rich young ruler. He says, if you want to be perfect, you go, you sell what you have, give to the poor, and then you're going to have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And here's his reaction. This is the shallow side of man coming out. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. And that's what happens to many of us in many situations where we are confronted with an opportunity to follow Jesus in a manner that is not easy but more difficult. And we turn away from the opportunity. 
So the struggle is real. I gave you two very easy illustrations on something simple and something a little bit more difficult that I struggle with just in the last few days. What do you struggle with? If you're not struggling about this, either you are like, like, like a, you've got a cape with a big C, Christian. Or you're not handling life the way you need to handle life and deal with the struggle. You're not walking, you're not following after Christ because there are difficult moments or trials that you're going to be faced with. It's not easy. But we can always remember the promise. You see, this is what allows me to, to go forward. And I'm going to share one, one more thing if I remember about this. Remember that statement again. If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. That's what motivates me. The last point that I struggle with, and, um, and I love, you know, right now we're transitioning from Ecclesiastes into Job. That was the one that hit me between my, my eyes, Job. I have said it publicly, I've said it privately, and I'll say it one more time. This is, again, my shallowness. I have mentioned it many times that if it weren't for the promise of God, I would not be here. Y'all remember? I've said it enough times. I would go out and do what I want to do. If it's Sunday morning, football season, I'm watching football or whatever's going on. I'm going to do whatever. I sleep in. I would not be here worshiping Jehovah. But God gave me a promise. And for that, I'm ever so grateful that he can take a shallow man like myself and give me motivation to serve him and at times serve him well and at times serve him in all my shallowness but I don't just serve God just because I love him no strings attached there's strings attached with his promise would we love a God who does not give us his blessings would we love a God that would allow for us to lose everything that we have? You see, to follow after Jesus, he gave up everything. He was obedient to the point of death. When you talk about unconditional love, that's unconditional. There were no strings attached to it. He did what was best for us. And the way I walk, at times, I admit very freely, it's attached to strings. I want the blessing of God. Don't give me your blessing, and, and I struggle with following you, God. So I struggle with that. And it's a real struggle, and that's the reason why we have the book of Job. When we get into that study, sometimes it's a little different than what we expect Job as far as the study itself. But I believe that's the main plot, and it hit me right between my eyes. The promise of life is motivation. That's what should help us to leave our posts, our station in life, and to go and follow Jesus. Because we do have the promise that God has given to us. In other words, if we're going to die to self, what we are really saying is we're going to give our life. And remember that statement that if you lay down your life, there's no greater gift, right? 
It's called love. The kind of love that reaches out in messy situations. The kind of love that says, I'm willing to do what, what is otherwise difficult for me to do. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, right? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Every day, you die to yourself. You give up your life. And you do it freely. You do it for the benefit of people's, uh, other people's lives, not, not yours. When you give of yourself for other people, that's true love. And I'm reminded of, I remind myself every single day when I fail at that. And I have to, in my heart, repent, sometimes humbly say it to my wife or my children. But that's following Jesus. Brethren, do you follow Jesus? Friends and brethren, as you're visiting with us, do you follow Jesus? Or is it simply a command that, hey, this is Sunday. We're supposed to be at church. Do you follow him? I really, truly hope that we get to grow through this experience. That we get to admit, you know, our selfishness ways or selfish ways. And learn how to follow Jesus by giving up our lives. Jesus went to the cross. That was the gift, right? Do we take up our cross? Do we give our lives this way? It's beautiful fellowship when we do so. We benefit each other. We help each other. We encourage each other. We share each other's burdens. And I pray then that we see that as following Jesus. It's inclusive of many of the things that we talked about in the previous slides. But it is like a living sacrifice to follow him. And I pray each one of us does so. If you're listening to the sermon, think about it from this standpoint. If you have not died to self, you need to do so. And the illustration of dying to self comes right over here. When you're baptized, you are, you're literally getting buried in water, right? But symbolically, the teaching is you are putting that old man to death, the man of sin. And you're raising to walk in newness of life where you voluntarily submit yourself as a slave to righteousness. Whereupon you walk in the spirit of God. And I know that I would not have done so unless there is this promise. Initially, the promise was, Mitch, you're not going to go to hell. Eventually, the promise is, but you'll have everlasting life. And I've learned that. But I think there's one more thing that we can do. Simply love God because he's God. We're made in his image. If you get that, I beg you, die to that old man of sin. And you will have that promise. You will have that motivation to live a life that otherwise would be a difficult struggle without him. Brethren, if you've not been walking worthy of that calling, think about it. No, no, no. Do something about it. Repent. And we'll be right here holding your hand. I'll struggle with you. We can all struggle together. But repent and walk worthy of that calling. Do that right now. So together we stand and sing. Who will follow Jesus?